This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the One Year Bible Reading for November 8th, and we are starting in the 18th chapter of Ezekiel this morning. And God is about to correct the Israelites on something, so I want to give you that background. Um, basically, the Israelites believed that they were punished for the sins of their ancestors and or they were blessed by the righteousness of their ancestors. And this did happen throughout time, um, and the scripture makes this clear. However, God is correcting that now because the Israelites really uh, felt that the judgment that, that was coming upon them now is not as a result of their own uh, indiscretions to the Lord. Rather, um, they didn't take personal responsibility, but they said it's because our ancestors sinned. Um, likewise, uh, they felt that the righteousness of some of their ancestors would ensure the Lord's favor upon them. So that's the background as we get started this morning. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Why do you quote this proverb in the land of Israel? The parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouths pucker at the taste. And surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you will not say this proverb anymore in Israel. For all people are mine to judge, both parents and children alike. And this is my rule. The person who sins will be the one who dies. Suppose a certain man is just and does what is lawful and right, and he has not feasted in the mountains before Israel's idols or worshipped them. And suppose he does not commit adultery or have intercourse with a woman during her menstrual period. Suppose he is a merciful creditor, not keeping the items given in pledge by poor debtors, and does not rob the poor, but instead gives food to the hungry and provides clothes for people in need. And suppose he grants loans without interest and stays away from injustice is honest and fair when judging others and faithfully obeys my laws and regulations. Anyone who does these things is just and will surely live, says the sovereign Lord. But suppose that man has a son who grows up to be a robber or murderer and refuses to do what is right. And suppose that son does all the evil things his father would never do, worships idols on the mountains, commits adultery, oppresses the poor and helpless, steals from debtors by refusing to let them redeem what they have given in pledge, worships idols and takes part in loathsome practices, and lends money at interest. Should such a sinful person live? No, he must die and must take full blame. But suppose that sinful son in turn has a son who sees his father's wickedness but decides against that kind of life. Suppose this son refuses to worship idols on the mountains, does not commit adultery, and does not exploit the poor, but instead is fair to debtors and does not rob them. And suppose this son feeds the hungry, has clothes for the needy, helps the poor, does not lend money at interest, and obeys all my regulations and laws. Such a person will not die because of his father's sins. He will surely live. But the father will die for the many sins he committed for being cruel and robbing close neighbors, doing what was clearly wrong among his people. What, you ask, doesn't the child pay for the parent's sins? No, for if the child does what is right and keeps my laws, that child will surely live. The one who sins is the one who dies. 
The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own goodness, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. But if wicked people turn away from all their sins and begin to obey my laws and do what is just and right, they will surely live and not die. All their past sins will be forgotten, and they will live because of the righteous things they have done. Do you think, asked the Sovereign Lord, that I like to see wicked people die? Of course not. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. However, if righteous people turn to sinful ways and start acting like other sinners, should they be allowed to live? No, of course not. All their previous goodness will be forgotten, and they will die for their sins. Yet you say, the Lord isn't being just. Listen to me, O people of Israel. Am I the one who is unjust, or is it you? When righteous people turn from being good and start doing sinful things, they will die for it. Yes, they will die because of their sinful deeds. And if wicked people turn away from their wickedness and obey the law and do what is just and right, they will save their lives. They will live because after thinking it over, they decided to turn from their sins. Such people will not die. Yet the people of Israel keep saying the Lord is unjust. O people of Israel, it is you who, is, who are unjust, not I. Therefore, I will judge each of you, O people of Israel, according to your actions, says the Sovereign Lord. Turn from your sins. Don't let them destroy you. Put all your rebellion behind you and get for yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O people of Israel? I don't want you to die, says the Sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. Sing this funeral song for the princes of Israel. What is your mother, a lioness among lions? She lay down among the lion's cubs and reared her, young, her cubs. She raised one of her cubs to become a strong young lion. He learned to catch and devour prey, and he became a man-eater. Then the nations heard about him, and he was trapped in their pit. They led him away to the land of Egypt. When the mother lion saw that all of her hopes for him were gone, she took another of her cubs and taught him to be a strong lion. He prowled among the other lions and learned to be a leader among them. He learned to catch and devour prey, and he too became a man-eater. He demolished fortresses in nearby nations and destroyed their towns and cities. Their farms were desolated and their crops were destroyed. Everyone in the land trembled in fear when they heard him roar. Then the armies of the nations attacked him, surrounding him from every direction, they spread out their nets for him and captured him in their pit. With hooks, they dragged him into a cage and brought him before the king of Babylon. They held him in captivity so his voice could never again be heard on the mountains of Israel. Your mother was like a vine planted by the water's edge. It had lush green foliage because of the abundant water. Its branches became very strong, strong enough to be a ruler's scepter. It soon became very tall, towering above all the others. It stood out because of its height and because of its many lush branches. But the vine was uprooted in fury and thrown to the ground. The desert wind dried up its fruit and tore off its branches. Its stem was destroyed by fire. Now the vine is growing in the wilderness where the ground is hard and dry. Fire has come from its branches and devoured its fruit. None of the remaining limbs is strong enough to be a ruler's scepter. This is a funeral song 
and it is now time for the funeral. Hebrews chapter 9. Now in that first covenant between God and Israel, there were regulations for worship and a sacred tent here on earth. There were two rooms in this tent. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and loaves of holy bread on the table. This was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain. The curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the ark were a gold jar, some manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant with the Ten Commandments written on them. Glorious cherubim were above the ark. Their wings were stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain all of these things now. When these things were all in place, the priests went in and out of the first room regularly, as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest goes into the most holy place and only once a year, and always with blood, which he offers to God to cover his own sins and the sins the people have committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the most holy place was not open to the people as long as the first room and the entire system it represents were still in use. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciousness of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and ritual washing, external regulations that are in effect only until their limitations can be corrected. And we know that correction comes from the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. Psalm 106, starting in verse 32. At Meribah too, they angered the Lord, causing Moses serious trouble. They made Moses angry, and he spoke foolishly. Israel failed to destroy the nations in the land as the Lord told them to. Instead, they mingled among the pagans and adopted their evil customs. They worshipped their idols, and this led to their downfall. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They shed in innocent blood the blood of their sons and daughters, by sacrificing them to the idols of Canaan. They, they polluted the land with murder. They defiled themselves by their evil deeds, and their love of idols was adultery in the Lord's sight. That is why the Lord's anger burned against his people, and he abhorred his own special possession. He handed them over to pagan nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies crushed them and brought them under their cruel power. Again and again he delivered them, but they continued to rebel against him, and they were finally destroyed by their sin. Even so, he pitied them in their distress and listened to their cries. He remembered his covenant with them and relented because of his unfailing love. He even caused their captors to treat them with kindness. O oh Lord, our God, save us. Gather us back from among the nations so we can thank your holy name and rejoice and praise you. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 27.10 Never abandon a friend, either yours or your father's. Then, in your time of need, you won't have to ask your relatives for assistance. It is better to go to a neighbor than to a relative who lives far away. And to end today, I have a section from Praying Through the Bible based on our reading today in Hebrews about the most holy place. 
in the Old Testament, people couldn't just walk into the holy place and ask for God's help or mercy. The priests ministered there daily, but only the high priest and only on the Day of Atonement could go into God's presence in the most holy place to offer a blood sacrifice for his own sins and the people's sins and intercede for them. Even then, he had a rope tied around his foot so that if God struck him dead, the other priests could pull his body out. When Jesus was crucified, he entered the most holy place once and for all, for shedding his own blood as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. When he died, the thick veil separating the people from the most holy place was torn. Think of it. Because of Jesus, we have unlimited access to the Lord. We don't have to wait for a once a year meeting with God. We don't have to ask someone else to go to the Lord on our behalf. Go freely into God's presence and thank him for his great gift of Jesus and this wonderful accessibility through prayer. With all our hearts, we thank you, Jesus, for being the perfect sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the whole world. When your blood was presented on the heavenly mercy seat and you offered up your spirit, the veil of the temple was forever rent, providing us access into the very presence of the Father. How we thank you, Lord. We come, we come. George MacDonald quotes here, God hides nothing. His very work from the beginning is revelation, a casting aside of veil after veil, a showing unto men of truth after truth, on and on from divine, from fact divine, he advances until at length in his son, Jesus, he unveils his very face. Mm -hmm. Love you all. Have a beautiful day.